Good morning, ladies, and welcome to Torah with the Takeaway, part two. McGillis Esther, I'm sorry, McGillis Ruiz, I already have still have my hangover from Purim. McGillis uh, Ruiz, 5781, so nice to see all of you. And we are going to start discussing, we're in the second chapter, Perk Base of McGillis Esther. And we're going to, you know, use, we're basically using Rev Brevda. I found he was very sparse in the, in the end of the Megillah. So once we get to Perk Gimel Daud, I am using about five minutes from last year. And I found some other sources I used you years ago. And then I said, oh my goodness, we really need to hear this. So I have some other sources to bring down to you as well. Okay, so let's start make a parrot base of McGill's uh, Bruce. Every Pusik is a gem, but we're not gonna go so analytical for Brevda. He's trying to give us, if you, if you got the drip from last week, basically the two things he wanted to impart on us is it's, it's more like that the message for us on, on Shavuos is that Bruce, no matter what life would throw at her, she was remaining steadfast and close to Hashem, no matter what happened. Now, we all think we have a script, and uh, I remember years ago, I um, years ago I took a poll of a class of mine, and I asked how many people got the life that they thought they were going to get. One person raised their hand, and she wasn't even Jewish. <laughs> and I wonder, after she became Jewish, I wonder what happened if she, if she still felt that way. But most of us, and that's the test in life, how, how steadfast are we going to keep to the Torah and the mitzvahs and do what we have to do? even when life throws us all kinds of uh, hurdles and hardballs and whatever. So she was telling Naomi and also her bare faith and her mentor giving no matter what, talking to a rub, asking Das Torah, I think that really, but there's more than that. There's also Rus's tremendous actions of chesed, the chesed that she does for her mother-in-law, that you know she pays for the burial and then she doesn't leave her mother-in-law alone and she goes out collecting for her without her, without, you know, her mother-in-law has tremendous betachan of Nomi, who doesn't even bother to, um, you know, it says, we'll, we'll see. Anyways, I have to give a heads up to Hannah Marcus, who reached out to me last week and told me that Neron Kezar that we spoke about was Nero. She did look it up on, in the Jastro. And it is true that there is a Gemara on Sanhedrin saying that he shot in all directions arrows, and then he later converted Judaism. And, um, you know, and we said Rav Mayer came from him. Okay. He's not muted right now. We have to work on that. And that, you know, anybody can become a convert. Anybody can get closer to Hashem at any time. It's just for us to make the proper choices. Now, Parak Base. Well, Nomi Moda. Nomi had a close relative. Le'isha ishki borchav mishpachas So boaz. So the... Uh, Ish always means he was a very special person, a great person. Dibor Chayel means he conquered his Yitzhahara for the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. So Rus HaMoaviyah, sometimes she's called Moaviyah. In this Pasuk, she is referred to. She's already passed her test of conversion. Three times she was dissuaded, and yet she still con continued. So Rus, the Moabite, will have to find out why she's called Moabite here. She says to Nami, El Hanahasada Valakta Bishibalim. I'll I'll go to the I'll go to the fields and I'll do leket. I'll do there are three types of gifts given to the poor that every farmer was obligated to use. One was called Peya. Peya means 
a corner of your field had to be dedicated to the poor. Then there was Leket. Leket was, you know, any stalks that were left standing, like, you know, stalks all by themselves standing after the harvest, um, you could take. And also there was Shecha. Shecha were piles, bundles left behind by the harvesters that also was open for the poor. But there's a lot of laws concerning them that we will be discussing in a moment. Any case, so she said, I'm going to go to the field and I'm going to do Leket. Now, Peya was the most popular, by the way. Peya, you know, it's all in one place. You don't have to go schlepping around. But she didn't want to fight with another, you know, person that was impoverished over a corner of the field. She felt, I'm going to go with the least popular method of collecting because Hashem is going to give me what I'm supposed to get in any case. And I don't want to do it on somebody else's shoulders. I'm not going to take advantage of another person and take their money from them. You know, when they want the same, we're going to fight over the same area. I'm not going there. So, which is very interesting. I'm going to, the person who I feign favor in their eyes, I would like to do Leket in their field. And she said, go and do Leket in that field. Go, go, you know, go there. Now, what's the, what Revda gives a different spin that we've mentioned in the past. He says, why is it, what's, what's the significance of this verse? Nomi does not, if you noticed, it was not Nomi's idea, it was Rus's idea. Nomi was a holy Jewess. She felt she was elderly. She felt she can't do this. She just sat in her house and felt Hashem is going to help us somehow. And she dared not ask Rus, like that's too much, he's shadless, too much effort. I'm not going to ask Rus. If she'll go, um, you know, I don't want to bother her. It's not her problem. It's it's my problem also. So I'll just, she said, you know, there was no Tehillim to say yet because David Amalek was her great, great, great grandfather, grandson. So there was no Tehillim. So she was just in her own way, davening, uh, learning halakha, reviewing halakhas. So she, so, so Nomi, for some reason, decided to take Rus up on her offer. Rus decided because she she's called the Moabite here, says Rebrevda. She wasn't on Nomi's level. She felt, I got to do something. Now, we're all on that level today, by the way. We're all on Russ's level that we're, we have to do efforts. We have to make efforts. But there are holy souls amongst us, maybe not too many in our generation, but in the olden days of Shimon Bar Yechai, for example, was one of them that, you know, he felt, who needs to do efforts? You just do what Shem's will, and that's what you're in the world to do. You don't have to go running around to make a living. Uh, but that's a very lofty, unusual madrega. Most people are not on that level. In fact, most people, if they did that, they're lazy or they're foolish and they're going to regret it later. They say, if they, all the Muslims farms say, if you're going to make too little effort and regret it later, then you should not go that route. You should go the route that you're really on, that you know you make the effort commiserate to your level. So, Rus did, so Nomi did not want to go collecting, but Rus did. Um, Masil Sharm says that uh, poverty and wealth are both big tests for a human being. And a person needs a lot of bitachan. And, and Naomi was flying colors. She didn't feel she had to make the effort. And Rus, look at Rus. She asked the 40-year-old woman, she asked her mother-in-law, of all people, asked her permission. She asked her mother-in-law permission if she can go collecting on her behalf. What about that? You know, <laughs> He says, Rebrev, the Halvai people should ask permission. Bahram should ask permission when they want to take off a Shabbos from Yeshiva. Halvai, we should ask our more questions. You know, they always said that 
they said in the in the Hasidic world that maybe I don't know if this is true or not, but they said the Hasidic world, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, I believe, said this in the Hasidic world, they need to be more in love with the Sefer. They said in the non Hasidic world, they need to be more in love with their Rebbe. You know, that you have to know that a Hasid would definitely go to his Rebbe. Where should I move? What should I do? You know, like the and by the non Hasidim, they say, come on, ask a Rebbe about every little thing, not every little thing, but major decisions. You know, the Torah doesn't just leave mm-hmm. us in the kitchen, you know, it's not only for chickens and for, um, you know, checking for insects, it's the Torah directs our entire life. And it's good to have a mentor that helps us figure out what we should be doing in our life. So she asked her permission, uh, asked her permission. She's Moavia, she's on the Madrega for her mother-in-law, has permission, she wants to do Leket. So the person who I find favor in his eyes, Russ was thinking like this. It's an interesting halakha that um, that that really when a, a lot of people that are owners of fields would be reluctant to give their, some of their, you know, they see crowds of people gathering to take the leket and the peya and the shecha. What about if there's a goy collecting? Does that go to them too? So the halakha is we give to them also because of peace. We don't want to, you know, if somebody walks in there that doesn't look obviously from our, you know, faith, um, we were not going to turn them away, but it's mostly for Shalom. So some people would feel I'm working so hard. I'm going to give part of my field to someone that doesn't look like they're part of the tribe. You know, I should, and Rus did not look the part, whether she did or didn't. I told her, Bev just said she looks like this very tall, skinny woman wearing Adidas sneakers. Doesn't quite fit in with the Maya Sharon look. And, you know, she's walking around here in base Lechem where all the real frummies are. It's the B'nai Brock of yesteryear. And she's going there and she does looks a little different. She's wondering, some people who are ignoramuses may turn her way and say, no, you're not entitled. But that's not the way we operate. In fact, I want to ask Rabbi Kersner, he should rest in peace. I want to ask him, Shaila, what do I do if I see homeless people, uh, you know, on the street collecting? Should I give them anything? Like, you know, that part of Meiser, that's for sure. But it, can I go do it with Sadaka? So he told me for Dark Shalom, you should. He said, you know, they should see that a Yid gives. So I was once walking along Spadina, there were four beggars sitting in a row. And I gave them a quarter or a dollar, I forgot what it was. I gave each of them something. And one of them said to me, good Shabbos. And then I realized, whoa, it does make an impression. And people know who, to which tribe you belong. And it's something, you know, that a person should do. Now, of course, if a woman's living alone, um, it's not so question your lot. You have to open the door for every stranger that walks in. It's not so simple. Safety does. There is a factor here. It's not something you have to open for every person. But if it's not an issue of safety, there is something to give a little something to, to make for shalom. You know, to make it look like, you know, we give to other things, too, and not just to our own causes, even though that's the priority there. Any case, so what happens is, so the... Um, Okay, now so she so she says she gives her permission, and she comes and she go and she arrives and then she and she takes leket in the sada. She so she comes and arrives. Uh means she goes, when she arrives, and like it's unnecessary, too much words there. Um so there's there's actually three interpretations where Brevda brings down is why the excessive verbiage as far as her journey to collect in the fields. Oh, uh, uh, by the way, at the end of the puzzle, we'll just say briefly, she came up and it happens to be the field of 
the Boaz, who happens to be the relative. It's not, nothing in life is coincidence. And that's where she was destined to go. But here's, we're talking about a princess that lowers herself to go collecting because that's Ratzon Hashem. You know, that's what we're supposed to do. Sometimes we feel like, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing in life? Is this really what Hashem wants? Person can do the lowliest thing and look what she gets from it. Melech HaMashiach and Malchus based David from, from growing where she's planted, from making lemons, lemonade out of the lemons. So she says, I'm going to, so she, what does it mean? She goes and she went and she collected. So Rashi says, it shows that she, she made signs to herself. So um, she went further along the path, like from her home, they went all along the path. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, why are they looking to collect? Nobody, says Rebrevda, wanted to give Nomi food. Like where were all the nice Jewish women of B'nai Brak going to give them something? When newcomer comes, she comes back after all these years. People were very suspicious of Nomi. She comes back with this Moabian tow with her. And what the, she had, she neglected all of them. She left them all during the famine. So a lot of women were reluctant to, you know, to come bring her a housewarming gift or uh, the cake that they bake for the kugel for Shabbos. They didn't bring her anything. So she had to, re she had to, to rely on collections. Can you imagine? Any case. So what did Risco, according to Rashi, she made, she made like landmark signals to herself. She just said, okay, uh, there's this green tree here with the funny leaves. That's where you go right. And they turn here on this thing. She may, she walked back and forth to try to know the path. So if she comes back at night, she won't be a woman alone and you know open to all kinds of horrible situations. That's what Rashi says, to know how to get home. Because we know it says in Pirkei who's wise person that, that sees the future. Like, to, to, you know, she's, she's anticipating in the future, she's going to come back. She better know how to get home because she's not familiar with Beis Lechem. She has to know her way home. So that's what, according to Rashik. Another, and the Gemara Shabbos, it says she walked back and forth because she was waiting for for a group of people to walk with. Last year, we mentioned from, um, from Renert Shlita, he said that she was waiting to see people that weren't coarse individuals, that were a theistic group. So she wouldn't feel, you know, she's a woman with a bunch of men. She kept walking. She would start going with the group. When she saw they were coarse, she would turn around. Rebrev dimensions probably Gamar Shabbos said probably people were speaking Lashon Hara. She heard a word of Lashon Hara, Rus went all the way back home. So she came and went. What does it mean she came and went? Because she didn't yet go. She waited for the proper group to accompany her. She was so uh, sensitive to being ar around the right company of people. Isn't that astounding that somebody, you know, that somebody's like, because, you know, we said the Rambam mentions that the crowd of people you hang out with are the people that influence you the most. The Vilna Gaon says a third idea, and this is really showing her brilliance, Russ's brilliance, that what she did was she came and she went and she came and she she went and came. What does it mean? Russ, when she went to when she was going to go to Elimelech's field, her she had an, she had a strategy. Her approach was going to be that she was going to go all the way to the end of the field, unlike other people. When people were most people were harvesting, they would go the first place they can hit on. And then continue on. She said, look, I'm going to be schlepping a big basket on my way home. I want to go all the way in the back where it's empty, you know, where, where rather my basket is empty. And then I'll be making my way to the front the entire time as the basket fills. And I won't needlessly be walking and schlepping around 
all the things that I've been harvesting. So I'd start with an empty basket at the back and then I'm gonna make my way to the front with a full basket. Now it's very brilliant. So Brenda says, why, why do we have to know how smart she is? Why do we have to know that she went to BY, you know, to, um, to what's the name of that you should, you even forgot that her name, BJJ. Why do we have to know that she went to BJJ? Why do we know Russ was so brilliant? Why is that so relevant? Because he says like this, here we see she asked Naomi for, for permission for every single move she made. Every single move that Russ made, she's asking Naomi, okay? Because, you know, so you'd think these people, the, the simpletons that go and ask the Rav every Shiloh and they're going asking their mentor, how do I do now? What do I do now? You'd think these people are simpletons. That's why they don't know. But here we see she's a Harvard graduate. She's a genius. She's a daughter of a, of a, of a king. She's royal, royal blood uh, from Moab. And she at this end, no, no, has a whole strategy how to go gleaning from the harvest. And yet... She goes and listens to her mentor because it says a pasuk in Mishlei, "Tumas Yisharim Tamchem." People that are straight, they use tamimus, they use their innocence, their naivete. That's what's going to lead them on their path. Like she, she goes. You know, there's a famous story about the brisker Rav, Chaim Brisker, I believe, who was you know a genius in Torah. He like tore apart every reasoning and hair splitting and his reasoning, brilliant thing to dissect. Any Talmudic passage, very brilliant how he dissected Talmud. Anyways, what happened with Rav Chaim Brisker? One time, anytime he would ask to ask a Shiloh, in his days, he'd use a telegram. I don't think anybody here is too young. If anybody doesn't know what a telegram is, you can uh, put it on the chat. I would like to know, but I think everybody here knows there was a time where people used telegrams. I was actually young when, this, when it was, but there are people that were familiar with it. In any case, the telegram was very brief. You had to weigh every word because it cost you money. So in any case, he would ask a Shiloh by way of telegram. And or, or if not telegram, you'd ask the person, I just yes or no, mutter or usser. Because her friend was afraid if he asked a Shiloh, he'd start reasoning the person's reasoning. He'd bring him proofs of where it's from. And he'd dissect it and tear it apart. He said, I just want to know, the, I just want to know what I'm supposed to do. Just tell me what to do. That's it. Now, this was a genius. And yet... When it came to nullifying himself before Torah leaders, before someone that he was going to listen to, as far as halacha, he nullified himself. He made himself small. Bayakar Mikra. And then an event happened. A Mikra, it sounds like coincidence. Boaz never really went to his field. It wasn't common. And he, um, you know, we said last year, we were talking about that, you know, that it just maybe it was right after the Shiva, he wanted to take a look at his field. Rebrepta says something different. Rebrevda says this was right after 10 years of famine. Okay, his wife, it, it, it was after his wife, burial, but he came to go to the field to supervise. It says, the stup it says in the Talmud, if you want to lose all your money, don't supervise your workers. Uh, doing things on his behalf and make sure that things are being done straight, straight and narrow. And um, otherwise you're throwing your money in the garbage. You know, if, you, if you're not there to supervise or have somebody you know, you rely on supervise, because that's where that's where problems belong. But, so he went after 10 years, you know, people were starving, you know, there's going to be a huge amount of harvesters now trying to take from the fields of Boaz. But he felt he had to supervise this harvest because, you know, so many years it was famine. Now, finally, as a harvest, he's there to supervise. And it was right after Shiva. 
And Vayakra Mikra means he never would have noticed Rus or anything. And it all happened because Hashem, he would never have considered a shit up with a woman like Rus. But he, after observing her, this made it more, you know, something he would think about. Okay. The, um, then Boaz came and he told his harvesters, Hashem imachem. He says, God is with you. And they told him, Yivarecha Hashem. They answered him. He's one of the first people, blessed people in the name of Hashem. Um, now, the, he brings down that, um, he brings down from the Sporno and Parshas Ekev. It says, when you eat, you have to bench. Why do you have to bench? Laman Tizgor says the Sporno, because when a person is satiated, that's when he's more apt to sin. He forgets Hashem. And that's when you, be, be fearful that you shouldn't forget Hashem. So a person has to, um, when we're satiated, is when we're most apt to forget Hashem, who's given us all these blessings. And it's important to attribute good things to Hashem whenever good things happen immediately, to try to turn it around and, 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 and thank Hashem for the good that we have in our life. It says in Rashi, Ain Adam person only rebels against Hashem when he's sated. That's, uh, you know, person starts relying on his strength. Whenever a person succeeds in any way, that's when he should bench Hashem more than usual. Whenever you're lucky in some way, thank Hashem even more, because otherwise it'll go to your head. That's the point, you know? So he's he's blessing Hashem right away. So that's why he comes and he sees, and he tells them when they have this bounty that they're harvesting this big field, says, God is with you. That's according to Rav Brevda. And um, he brings down from the, Rav also brings down from the Vilna Gon who says that when a person gives a bracha, it doesn't just show appreciation, you know, it also saves you from, from a lack of amuna. A person blesses Hashem and keeps thanking. Make it a habit, you know, once a day, we should try to think of all the good things we experienced that day to thank Hashem for. If we do so, not only is it bringing us closer to Amuna and it's giving us that principle of appreciation, it also makes us, um, arrogance is what brings people to be a heretic. If a person doesn't believe in God and atheists, it's usually because they don't want to have to humble themselves before another being. They don't want to have to attribute things to somebody else. They just want to go on their own path and not think of anybody or anything else. So it's appreciation and it's also bringing us closer to Amuna. That um, as soon as Avram Abinu, for example, got the grave from B'nai Ches, he right away thanked them. Even though he had just lost his wife, he wanted to he thanked them and thanked Hashem. <laughs> because, you know, it's always important when as soon as we employ this appreciation, specifically to Hashem, it's taking the spotlight away from ourselves. And it's attributed, it's, it's giving, it's making us closer to Hashem because it becomes danger when we stand, tend to succeed in life. And, and, and it brings to arrogance. Now, the Vilna Gon says, as soon as he told them, Hashem imachem, God's with you, the Vilna Gon said, Yivarech Hashem, they, the, the harvesters answered them, since you displayed your bitachin, you're going to have Hashem, Hashem is going to bless you for sure. Since you thanked Hashem, for sure you'll be blessed. This is the Navardic approach that if the, well, the Breslov is very into this too. The more you, if you keep thanking Hashem, even when things go wrong, Hashem says, oh, I like, I like the way you're, you're approaching me. I'm going to give you all good, give you that test. So it's always good to thank Hashem for no matter what we have and try to get into that appreciation mode. 
Now, so um, in the next Pusik, Pusik, hey, Boaz tells his, he has this guy that's his sidekick that's the supervisor of all the fields, I think was over, if I'm not mistaken, from last year, 42 people. Uh, you shouldn't have someone supervise more than 42 people. We learned from this. And he's watching all these harvesters and he says, hazos. to whom does this girl belong? He sees Russ. Now, um, he doesn't mean to say, he doesn't say, who is she? He says, to whom? Who, who educated her? Lemi, to whom? Who educated this woman? Why did he want her to know? Why did he ask about women? Because he brings down Rebrevda that the way she, she was really an expert in halacha and she was doing things that most women weren't doing on, in, that, in, that, in that event. What was she doing? First of all, um, there's a few laws with leket. One, we should never know from it. None of us. I mean, it's a shame. All of us should be, we should be a giver and not a taker. Any case, but what happened that, you know, you're not supposed, uh, if you see stalks sitting there, um, and let's say you, you can only take if there's one or two, but if there's three together, you're not allowed to take, that's already group. You're not allowed to take from the three. There's to be one isolated or two isolated, but not from three. People there were starving after 10 years of famine. Everybody's like pouncing. Oh, I'll be a little, oh, you know, a little bit more lenient. I won't rely on the strictest pressure. You know, I'm starving. What can I do? I'll, I'll have to give in. Rus was to the letter keeping the halacha of only taking one or two of the leket. Also, now this I didn't understand. I even consulted with my son and he didn't know. I'd have to ask somebody more, more knowledgeable in the laws of leket, which is not applicable today. But because we looked it up and we couldn't figure it out. But it says you're not supposed to pick between the bundles. Now, I, I said, what if bundles are 10 feet apart? I can't imagine that's what it's referring to. It must be a certain degree of distance between a few bundles. If there's some stalks sitting there, you can't pick there. But I don't know how far, I can't imagine if it's very far apart, that's not called between the bundles. But in every people were doing that and Rus wasn't doing that. Also, a lot of people to harvest would be bending down like, and for women, for man, it's okay. But for a woman, it's a little bit, uh, you know, if a man's around, it's not sneeze for a woman to bend down like the normal way. Rus would like really, real exercise on those glutes and on the, whatever they call the uh, hamstring muscles. She would sit when it was a low stock. And she, when it was a high stock, she would stand. So she was totally squatting down to, you know, to, to sit for the low ones and to stand up for the high ones. It was quite a workout. And it was every single time, like there was no woman doing that at all. So he, she would definitely stood out from the crowd and probably her, her every single hair was covered, you know, and she was careful with her, the sneers, you know, like other people were, you know, like, they, and also the way people spoke, there were men and women collecting. So some women would like joke to try to get a guy be nice to them. They say, do you mind giving me from your stock? Is that okay, Charlie? You know what I mean? Like they maybe a little bit talk to the other workers she stood out, not talking to anybody, just doing her work, staying apart in her tzniyas and her wisdom and in her halacha, her, her you know, loyal to halacha, no matter what was going on. Starving woman is so loyal to halacha, he couldn't help but ask, who is she? Like, where, who taught her all these kind of things? Because it says, Ruben Begesel, it says almost everybody is guilty of theft. It means taking something without permission, waking somebody up without permission. 
Um, you know, if people should write down when they borrow something to ensure to pay back what you borrowed. It says a lot of people are guilty on, you know, not being careful of other people's possessions, you know, to use somebody's possession and not be careful with it. All these things are under, under the, you know, heading of like stealing. And some people have these problems with the way they engage with the opposite gender, you know? So it says, she was careful, she was careful in all her halacha practices. Now, the, uh, and people felt like this was like, it's a life-saving life thing. 10 years, there's been no harvest. Now I'm starving and the poor people suffer the most during these kind of situations. And they said, here, she's a new convert and she puts them all to shame. And it's the biggest temptation. And here, another thing, she's from Lot, you know, like she, she's, there's a whole crowd here. She's from Lot who is very well known for their lack of kindness and their lack of morality. And, um, and also it's a question of starvation. And here she stood out. That's how she, you know, now, so, so he, 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 uh, he said, there's somebody not muted. Anyway, so it says, here. she says she's a Moabite woman. In other words, uh, either it, it could be praise, it could be something negative. We did that last year, but I'm not going in there. Anyway, so she says she, it's a woman that came back with Nomi from Moab. And then she, she said that I'm going to take Leket and I'm going to only take, you know, from the leftover piles after the, the the harvesters leave and she's been here from the morning and she just rested a little bit so pasuk says this is a beautiful pasuk he says hello shamat biti i i heard about you my daughter don't go gleaming in another field last year we mentioned this was an allusion to i see you're a true convert you don't have to leave this religion at all and don't leave here but he also means that in a physical sense, you stay with Na'arosai. I have handmaidens you can be with, so there won't be any breach in Sneas. You can glean with my handmaidens. They'll stay around you. They won't leave you. Don't go and gather in any other field so you don't have to bother yourself with, you know, lowering yourself with Sneas and with everything else. Please stay here. You know, you see, she's a righteous woman. Uh, put your eyes in this field and that's where you're going to glean. Um, and I also told my, 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 the boys that work for me not to touch you. And if you're thirsty, go to the, there's places where people can drink here, whatever they, they've drawn from the well, you can drink from the water as well. So what is Russ's uh, reaction? Now, again, this is unusual. You know, this is a time of starvation and everything. She falls on her face and she bows down. Why do I find favor in your eyes? Because I'm a stranger. You know, this is such humility and gratitude that people usually, you know, they've got their hands out. It's coming to me. Look, you guys have it. We don't have it. Thanks, you know, and then just keep collecting. No, she falls on her face out of like, Do I deserve this. Like it's such an amazing humility. And Boaz tells her, I was told everything you did with your, with your mother-in-law after your husband died and you left your parents and you went to a nation you didn't know. Like I, you did such an amazing thing. Um, by the way, the, you know, the, also another thing I forgot to mention, the fact that she falls on her face, it shows not just her mental humility, but she's always wanting to grow more and more. Like she doesn't feel she's at the top of the heap. She still looks at herself. Rose looks at herself like, I, I, who am I? I have so much more to go. I have so much higher to reach. You know, she doesn't look at herself. Look who I am. I'm the greatest, you know, unbelievable humility. So anyways, 
he, he tells her, you know, he gives her encouragement. Now, this is also special. This shows something special about Tadik. I mean, think it's a lack of sneeze for him to like give her some praise, you know, for what she did for her mother-in-law. But um, he said, I heard you paid for the burial and you accompanied her the whole way, you know, um, that uh, there was a story I forgot he brought down from a, of a guttle 50 years ago that, um, what's it called, that Brevda brings down, I don't remember the name of the guttle, that he said, that, oh, he didn't mention it, that's why. He said he saw himself, a guttle who had a long line of people, I'm guessing it's the Chazanish, but I don't know, a long line of people standing in line to speak to him, and there was one person that was seeing, talked to him right now that was downtrodden. He made everybody wait until he felt he gave this person encouragement. Rav Hutner would always say, like, you know, people would say, I'm bothering you. He says, no, nope, that's what I'm here for. And he felt that was his biggest mitzvah. Chaim Eiser, the great Chaim Eiser, the best friend of the Chafetz Chaim, used to say he wrote a lot of sparm and he was a brilliant person with halacha and he directed the whole Jewish people. He said, I have been put in the world to help orphans and widows. He said, that's my biggest claim to fame. He said, that's what I'm going to go to Olam Haba for encouraging the downtrodden. So he turns there, I could say it's a lack of sneers, whatever. He doesn't look at it like that. He said, I heard everything you do with your mother-in-law and you left your father and mother and you went to a nation you didn't know. He's encouraging her. Hashem should pay you back. Hashem should pay you. He meant in this world, everything in this world and the next world, but he shouldn't lose out in your next world. Um, you came to live under Hashem's wings, so to speak. You should get paid for everything. Now, she said, um, you, you sp- thank you for comforting me, but I, I'm not even like one of your maidservants. <laughs> like, look at this, this, this dialogue, unbelievable. And then he tells her, Boaz, come here and you'll eat from the bread and you should d- d- dunk your, um, your bread in vinegar and sit next to the uh, harvesters. And he gave her some parched grain and she, she ate and she had, you know, and she was full. Now, if, now he, um, even though, you know, he, you know, she, here is a person right after the, there must've been so much tumult there, so many people in the field and so much going on. He had the, the brains to think of the little people that needed chizik, that needed something to eat. He thought that she, every need should be taken care of and that she should be fed and that she should have, you know, something. Now, we talked about last year that dunking bread and vinegar, vinegar cools people down. So it's a very good thing to serve vinegar in the summer. Uh, you know, that, those kind of things, those foods, you know, if you're overheated, that's something good to eat is something with vinegar in it. I think we mentioned that German Jews are very into vinegar and uh, Sephardi Jews are very into hot, which is according to their more of their personalities. And the Rambam says you're supposed to eat opposite your personality. He says you tend to be hot headed. You should eat cool foods. And if you tend to be cooler, you should eat warmer foods. And in the winter, you're supposed to eat lighter. And in the summer, you're supposed to eat heavier and hotter foods. Now, Pusik Tesvav, she got up to collect and then Boaz told them, uh, don't let her let her even go between the stalks. She's not going to do piles. Now she's not going to go between the piles because she feels that's wrong. He says, don't embarrass her if she goes between the piles. Let her do it. And also throw down some bundles by accident, looking like you've left it behind. And then she can take from, she can also take shikha and leave it and, sh- and don't be upset at her. So she is, she's gathering all day until the night. And then vatachbot means she bangs down, you know, like she's banging the stalks to just be left with the wheat kernels. 
and she had an afa saorim. It's supposed to be a tremendous, tremendous amount. It's 10 omers. Um, it's like um, an omer is for one day. So she brought enough for five days for both of them. That's how much she collected. So she, 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 she carries it. She goes back to the city and she shows her mother-in-law what she gathered. And she, and she gave her what she left over from the meal she ate. Now, that's, that's also unbelievable, says Rebrevda. Not only was she mocked on all the aspects of halakha, but here he offered her a meal, right? She sat down to this meal. She had the, the presence of mind to save some of the prepared food for her mother-in-law. You know, when she gets home, there's something right away she could give her to eat because she's starving. And then, you know, that later they have the five further days of food. Like she ate, but not just eating, she's starving. And, and she's not eating, but she had presence of mind, think of her mother-in-law, get food for her. And she gave her right away the food that was left over from what she ate. Unbelievable. Because as Rakhaim Velazhiner says, this very important thing we always have to think about sometimes, lo la'atzmo nivra, person is not created for himself. I remember one of the, Tishba videos years ago of um, of Matisio Solomon. They quoted something from him where he was making a chasana for his a family member, and he gave a catered meal to his neighbors who were all in Avelis. They couldn't come to the wedding. His, his next door neighbors were all in Avelis. They lost somebody. They couldn't attend the wedding. So he thought of them. They're going to be alone while I'm airing off my child. He he's thinking of them during the highest moment of his simcha. And he gives, it has meals delivered to their door in the middle of the wedding as a, you know, during their year of mourning. So they should remember, you know, they should know that they're thought of even during that thing. Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, I think about him, that one, that one time somebody saw him dancing in his apartment. They said, why are you dancing? He says, one of my students is getting married. I couldn't come to the wedding. I don't know why. He says, right now he's getting married. I'm thinking of him. So he starts dancing around his apartments. You know, thinking of the other, not just to think of yourself, to have, remember, what about the others? What about all the other people? While we're here enjoying this class, think of all the people that went to the Meiron that are suffering right now with uh, family losses and all the horrible, horrible things they're dealing with after this whole tragedy. Anyways, she asked him, now, Nomi, also an interesting, says Rebrevda, when, um, when she comes back, she would think, you know, uh, she, she, it, she gave everything and test and she told her, where did you gather today? And, and what did you do? Whoever know, knows us should be blessed. It says that instead of falling over her food, she's starving. Instead of eating first, the first thing that Sadiq does is who do we owe thanks to? Not well, Hashem, of course, also, I'm sure she thanked Hashem. We don't hear every time she thanks Hashem in the Megillah, but we think the first thing she says is to whom do we owe gratitude today? Who should I be makir tov to? This is the attribute of a tzaddik and hakar satov. Appreciation is what get, get, leads us to the biggest amuna and the biggest mitos. And it's like a form of chesed is to always look to who do we have to have a debt of gratitude. Now, um, so she says, the man that I went to today is Boaz. And Nomi said, well, it's, he, he, you know, Shem didn't leave us. Look how Shem didn't leave us, abandoned the, the living who just mourned over their dead. She said, he's related to us. He's from the people that, are, that are, can redeem us, our field. We'll, we'll talk about this a little bit later. So she said that um, he even told me to stay the whole season with his, his the women. And she said, good, if you should go with his, his women, they shouldn't bother you. And, you know, 
So she went until the whole harvest was finished with the um, barley and the, and the wheat harvest. And then she came back to her mother-in-law. Now, the reason that that's relevant is because a convert has to wait, like if she's even known a man, she has to wait three, years to, three months to get married from conversion. And also a, um, a widow has to wait three months to remarry. So um, that's why apparently it was three months through this whole harvest period. Okay, now we're in Paragimel. Uh, I hope we can finish. Okay, so now I, I used, I Brevda was kind of getting scared, uh, sparse here. So I took upon myself, I'm going to mention Rafal Breuer Zetzal, who is the grandson of Rav Farhirsch. I bring some of his Perushim in here as well. And then a little bit from what we said last year, very little. Okay, so the um, this is very important, this next um, in, in Paragimel. Um, Oh, oh, I forgot one more thing in her face. Very important. Sorry. Pasakutes, I have to mention this. This I don't want to leave this. I wrote it in very tiny letters, and that's why I skipped it. But she said something very, very, very relevant. And I want to focus on this because we said this last year, but it's such an important point. I don't want to leave it out. But everything we said from last year, I did not say almost the entire share except for these five minutes. Um, she said the man that I did something with was Boaz. Pasakutes. Um, so she said, The man I did something with today was Boaz. I did for him. Now, where did she do for him? He did for her. He did her a tremendous favor. And, and look, how she fell on her face out of gratitude. She definitely appreciated it. There's no question. But here's the mindset of when a person has to take. There's, there's a lot of things we can learn from here. The, the Rush says in Orchus Chaim, that if ever you lend something to somebody or if you do somebody a favor, he said, if you really care about your friend, let them pay you back at the first opportunity because that person is going to feel indebted to you for life. Sometimes taking is giving. When you let somebody give, you're making them feel like they have, they're a mensch. Down deep, even if people aren't big, the biggest folly chesed, everybody wants to give. A man was created to give. And a person doesn't want to feel beholden. Person wants to feel like, you know, I paid my dues, I paid whatever. You know, it's a normal human uh, feeling. That's why it's also important if you have to go, if you're visiting someone, you're building an elderly person that's, that's, that's compromised, find out what they can, they've done for you. Ask them what they did in the past in their life. Learn something from them. Don't make it feel like you're just doing them a chesed. That's the worst feeling a person can have is when somebody does somebody a chesed and the other person feels, well, what did I do for you? You know, I didn't, I didn't do anything. So she looks at the proper mindset. Now, this is a hard thing to come to. But when I when I take, I'm actually. OK, we'll mention this later. Yes. OK. Um, taking is, is an act of chesed. I remember a story with a very dear friend of mine. She should rest in peace that somebody once did a favor for her. I'm not going to say how or what is too too long of a story, but she, somebody did her a favor. And at the end, the person had a little bit of a allergy or something. The person was talking to her and the person, I brought a box of tissues with me because I didn't want to take anything from you. You know, she was, in, the woman that she went to do a favor for was, was impoverished and she brings her own tissues. She says, I didn't want to ask you for tissues. Ask her for tissues. Let her feel like she can give you something. Say, thank you. Look, you gave me tissues. You know, it's a very important media to make another person feel like, you know, that they're giving you something. Everyone wants to feel like a giver, but there's a deeper explanation. 
Rav Dessler goes into it. Says Yosem imasha balabayis osema ani haani osema balabayis. More than what the person gives to the poor is what the poor gives to the rich. And we should have this in mind. If God forbid, in any way we have to take from anybody, someone's visiting us, somebody's doing for us. First of all, Rav Dessler says that okay, when a, when a person gives something to somebody else, the giver is getting a mitzvah, right? The taker has to take because they're missing something, whatever it is, they're missing something. So they have to take. They said, if you don't give to the people, then you are caught, they're suffering. Hashem made them suffer. Why are they needing the visit? Why are they needing the groceries? Why are they needing this? In order to give somebody else a merit for Olam Haba, if you don't seize that opportunity, that person has suffered in vain. The person has suffered in vain. So the, first of all, from the, from the viewpoint of the taker, the taker should always try to find what they can give to the compliment them, make them feel like a million dollars for giving to you, you know, and, and make sure that if God forbid someone has to suffer, they should, they should not suffer in vain. You know, the person can always say, I'm going to, I'm going to take it with Bitochan and Amuna. I'm going to praise Hashem. I'm going to do my best to better myself. That's how I'm going to take life. That's what I'm going to do with my life. And uh, that's how Rus took things that, you know, as a taker, you have to eat. once you have to take, have that right attitude. This is my time that I have to take. I'm going to turn this into a mitzvah. I'm going to be bazaka them. I'm going to give them this chus to do a mitzvah for me. So that's very important. And also, if we have to give, make the person feel like they're not just a little schlepper taker. They have already a sensitivity. If somebody's giving you directly, should always make them feel that in fact you're benefiting, but because it, it's true in many in many regards and many many layers, you are benefiting from being the giver. Okay, now Pierre Gimel, back to Pierre Gimel. So she says, "I'm going to give you a Manoach. Manoach is, you know, we talked about before. She said the same thing. Go back to have Manucha. She told both her daughters-in-law, "Go back because there's no peace." The Ebenezer says for a woman except in her husband's home. Woman does not have tranquility unless there's a man standing next to her taking care of her so but here why is she repeating it here she's saying no this is a manoach for olam haba uh, this is all i have a i have a shidduch for you she's telling her now Nomi, if you remember it's unbelievable says rebrevda Nomi told rus will i be able to give you a shidduch i don't have any children i'm not even if i have a child he's gonna be 20 years younger than you are you gonna really gonna wait that long you know, she told him before she has nothing. And look what happened. It just so happens that he saw her. He sees what a holy woman she is. And then she has this thing. There's a suggestion. Rus and Anomi had to sell their, they have a field. They had a portion. And the halacha was before you put it up for sale, you're supposed to keep it in the family. Put the tribal possession in Eretz Yisrael has to stay in its own uh, possession. So first, the family gets first dibs to buy the field when someone, you know, man is nifter and they they're impoverished. If you're if, if a, a relative is impoverished, the first person you have to help is your relative. You know, Rabbi Salman brings down the yaivitz, which says that the biggest mitzvah, biggest chesed is to help family members because those are the ones usually want to help last. It says uh, I saw a sign recently, and it said there's a sign. Um, uh, friends welcome 24 seven, 
uh, uh, relatives make an appointment first <laughs> because everybody has some difficult relatives, you know, by appointment only. Sorry, it said by appointment only. Relatives by appointment only. Some people have mazel, they have fantastic families. Some people don't have such a mazel, believe it or not. And, you know, in such a case, when it's by appointment only, you know, like it's more of a challenge for people to do chesed. And also, I think, a lot of times people ignore and neglect their family. And I think that's why it's by appointment only. Sometimes your family neglects you more than anybody else because they take it for granted. You know, you know, after a person passes away, all of a sudden your family says you're holy. But while you're alive, usually the first person people neglect are their own family. Anyway, so she says, um, so she says, you know, Boaz is someone that knows us. He, he's Moda Tanu. Um, he's, uh, you know, you were with his maidens. He's threshing his, he's on the threshing floor. They're threshing the, the, and winnowing the grain that he harvested tonight. This is this uh, murky parrot, but we're gonna just skim over it for the basics. Any case, but um, the, uh, you know, and it, it says like he's, he's, okay. We learned three things from this verse says this, says this for Brev Breuer, uh, Sal. He says, he says, Modatano, he's our relative. He cares about his family. Two, by the way, according, we, we learned last year, the reason why Boaz uh, didn't do anything till now, he didn't want to embarrass Naomi to make the first move, you know? He thought if they need him, they'll come to him. He didn't want to embarrass them and, and show that he wants to help them financially. But he did, like with Ruth, he gave her all this food and she was able to take as much as she wanted and he, he helped her. Any case, he said, she, so first of all, he cares about family. Second, he said, you're with his maidens. That means he cares, he, he, he appreciates your tzniyas. And he sent you with handmaidens, like he's a religious person. He cares about your modesty. That's very important to him. And then the third thing, he's in the threshing floor. He's there to protect his grain because there were a lot of thieves in that generation. You know, he's, he's being, he has a great work ethic. Those are the three things where Breuer says you should look for a shidduch. Now, are those usually on people's list? Not necessarily. Usually it's yichas, 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 whatever. And maybe some more yichas and maybe looks. It's depending which side of the, the playing field you're on, whatever, all the externals. But here, he, care, he has good meadows, he cares about family, he cares about your tzniyas, you know, and he has work ethic. These are the meadows for shidduchim. Now, when she's proposing the shidduch, at this point, Rus has a good alibi to run away. They are 40 years apart in age. He's 80, she's 40. And she's knockout, drop dead gorgeous, apparently. Rus was supposed to be a very beautiful woman. And now, now, Nomi never asked Boaz. She's just making this suggestion to Rus. Um, and here she's telling her, you have to prepare for this. Some people say she went to the mikvah, but dress in her Shabbos clothing. And then you go down to the threshing floor. Don't let anybody know until he finishes eating and drinking. And then after he's asleep, you're supposed to go sleep by his feet, uncover his feet, because that's a hint to Yibum, you know, to, to uh, Halitza taking off the shoe that I'm asking you to redeem your family and you know, buy the property and marry me. That's what she's asking him to do from this proposal. She thought after he harvests, he's going to be like, uh, you know, he's going to be sated and he's going to feel good, you know, and then he'll be in the mood to take it. Also, some people say he was lonely. This is what Rev Hirsch says. I mean, Rev Royer, he said he was, um, he was maybe very lonely after having lost his wife and he's sitting alone in a granary without a wife. And, you know, maybe he'll be more open to then. That's what he said, more likely to say yes. And putting on Shabbos clothes and all that shows that there's no impropriety on her part. By the way, we don't have time to go through the verses, but she switches the order 
Nomi tells her, she usually does everything Nomi tells her, but Nomi says, get dressed and then go to the threshing floor. She came in common clothes to the threshing floor. And then when nobody was looking, uh, she got in some, you know, create a little corner somewhere, changed her clothing to, she didn't want to walk around in Shabbos clothing. She felt she'd be too conspicuous. And she felt she was following Nomi's directive, but albeit in a different order. Then, okay, then... <laughs> So what happens is she said, I'll do everything you say. This is exactly Kabbalah Satara for us. Nasev and Ishmael, whatever you tell me, this is the, whatever you tell me, Rav, I'm going to do. You know, you ask a Rav a question. It's not just about a kitchen. What you tell me this is how I should leave my life. I'm going to do it. So she went and everything her mother-in-law told her, albeit she changed the order, but it was in with her mother-in-law's intentions. So he, he went and, 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 and um, she went and she, uh, the, um, she, in the middle of the night, he wakes up and he's like shocked. He's, he's, he, he, Baila face means he like his, his skin either becomes full of goosebumps or, or somehow he was like all like shook up and he sees this woman sleeping by his feet. So the, um, we're told by the Medrash Rabbah, he really, by, by, he could have cursed her out. He says, what a chutzpah, you come, you go and appear to me like this. I'm the, he was the Gadol Hador at the time. You know, and he's a woman comes and does this to him. Like, who do you think you are to do this to me? I mean, if he was a lower person, he would have done something else, but we're not going to go there. Anyways, he was, why did he get up in the middle of the night? He would always get up at Chatzos Halila to, to, um, to learn. And that's why David Amelach had the practice Chatzos Halila Akum Lahodos Lacha. David Amelach got up in the middle of the night always to learn and to play on his harp. To thank Hashem that if this event would not have happened in the middle of the night, he wouldn't be here. He wouldn't be alive. He wouldn't be talking about it. So he, she had to do it in a dramatic way. She was hoping, first of all, Yichud was not forbidden yet until the time of Dov and Amalek. And, um, you know, she, so he was terrified the whole thing. And um, this is, so he, he was shook up. And then he says, who are you? And she says, I'm Rus, your servant. And she says this in this delicate way. And you should spread your wings over me because you could be our redeemer says that, Rebrevda um, says that if a person uses foul language, he says it's called znus of dibur. It's called, um, how do you say, immoral behavior of speech. Person should not curse, they should not use lowly language. Look how she says you should tread your wings. Like you don't even know what he's talking about. It's like, you know, but it's okay. It's an idea of protecting. It's an idea of, you know, what a husband's supposed to, supposed to do to his wife. And in any case, so both of them had bitachim. So they, um, okay, so he told her, your blessed Tashem, your first chesed, this chesed is bigger than your former chesed. It says a woman would prefer to marry a bachur miskein. It says, I believe in the Gemara, where is it? Um, a woman would rather marry a bachur, a young, gorgeous, handsome man. See, it's not just the women. He would rather marry a handsome man that's young and marry an elderly man that's very wealthy. Women look for the looks, just like the men do. So it's not just so simple. In any case, so, you know, he says that you're doing a bigger chesed to want to marry me, to listen to your mother-in-law, marry me, than to go after, because this will keep in the family two things. This will keep the inheritance in the family, and this will also keep, it's an obligation for the family to first marry her, because this way, the soul, it'll be Yibum, she'll, it'll be the soul of her son, Machlon, of her husband, Machlon, will be in the child they will conceive. 
Machlon means Hashem forgave him. Kilion was meant to be destroyed, his brother, because Machlon married a Moabite, but he didn't, it wasn't like so willingly. It was a little bit against his will. He regretted it. He regretted what he did, whether Kilion did not regret what he did. And so Machlon, um, Hashem forgave, and through him, um, we had, he had a child. Now, according to, uh, so the, um, now he says, don't be afraid. Everything you tell me, I'll do. I'm not going into the verses anymore because I want to get my thoughts out and I don't know if I have time to say my extras. And he says, and there's somebody closer than me. According to most opinions in the Gemara, there is a slight difference, but we're just going to go by one right now. There were three brother, three sons of Nachshon, Ben Aminadab. Nachshon was the one of the absolute, the split for him. He was the first person to jump in. From him comes, comes Mashiach. So Nachshon had two brothers, had three sons. One was Salmon, who was the father of Boaz. One was Elimelech, and one was Tov. So Elimelech tells her, I mean, Boaz tells her that Tov really is first rights to redeem you in the field before it's my turn. Okay? So that's why they have to go to him first. He's a closer. He was a brother to Elimelech. Now, he tells her to stay here tonight. The reason he told her to stay here tonight, he was afraid a woman should not go by herself in the middle of the night. It's not, it's not proper. You know, it's, 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 it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And he, um, you know, he told her you should stay here for the rest of the night. And tomorrow I'm going to take care of things immediately. And if he won't redeem you, I will redeem you. That's what he said. Now, they both got up right as the dawn was dawning. And he accompanied her, so she shouldn't be alone because it was still a little bit dangerous. But then already he felt there wouldn't be coarse individuals walking around thinking he did some untoward act. At that moment, usually there's nobody around when it's the dawn is coming. Everybody's asleep. All the drunk people are sleeping already and all the lowlights are already sleeping at dawn. So that's when he accompanied her home and he gave her extra kernels of wheat and everything to take with her. And... Um, Look at the difference between him and Yosef. Yosef, like she grabbed his cloak uh, as evidence, you know, and Yosef ran away from her. He had to stay with her all night. And, um, and you know, at the end, he put, put wheat on her cloak. So, you know, they said his test was bigger than the test of Yosef, even though she kept changing her clothes and, and tempted him for a whole year. Boaz's test was a whole night. The whole night he was davening, Hashem, please save me from any sin. And she was davening the whole night. Hashem, please save me from any sin. That's what went on there. So um, they it left, you know, he went, she went back to the house and she, she her mother-in-law right, right away asked her, who are you? In other words, are you married? Are you unmarried? What, what, you know, like, what's your status? Did anything bad happen to you that some low lives got to you? And she said, no. Um, she told him what happened and that he gave her uh, either six kernels or six, uh, six ambarim, whatever, it's just a lot, to signify that there's six great tzaddikim coming from her. And um, she said, okay, let's wait and see what happens. And Rebecca said she wasn't worried. She lived her life like before learning Torah with Naomi because she felt all of this is from Hashem and I'm not sitting here on pins and needles waiting what's going to happen in my life, which is very interesting. You know, usually people are counting down what's going to be, what's going to be, what's going to be or certain days in our life where we just, you know, we're so busy, we don't have time to think. She went on her normal life and um, just had total bitachan and Hashem. Because people don't run the world, Hashem runs the world. Because so many people were disappointed when Trump uh, didn't win the presidency, but 
I read in the end illuminated the new the new book that just came out part two he mentions that um you know maybe Trump wouldn't have even been on the side of the Jews or maybe we're supposed to believe that Trump is not the one to save us Hashem ain't ognovado is what we're all supposed to believe before Mashiach comes we're not supposed to feel this one or that one is our savior and this one I just hope this happens because this is the one I want you know, we have to think that whatever Hashem wants is what's going to happen. And sometimes it looks like you may get the shit up, you may not get the shit up. It's really up to Hashem, the final thing that happens. Okay, Parak Dalit, quickly. Okay, so Boaz um, went to the Sanhedrin. Basically, I think I'm going to just paraphrase it. And it's just so, so happens, coincidence, but we call it Bitachan and Ashkacha Pratis. Tov passes by. He was not want to pass by usually. This is the one that's his his brother, you know, that I'm sorry, his uncle, rather. His uncle passes by the Sanhedrin where he was sitting. And he said, come here. And he calls him Ploni Almoni, either because it means so-and-so. That's really literally what it means. There's different opinions on this. Some people say because they don't want to reveal his name because he did he 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 missed a beautiful opportunity and he he dropped the ball. So other people say he was called Plony Almoni directly. This is what Rev Breuer says. He was called Plony Almoni because he says, you know, like, why did he call him Plony Almoni? How could you have acted like a stranger to Naomi's plight? You know, and, and you don't want to buy her house. Her house is up for sale and her, her portion is up for sale. Why aren't you, why aren't you doing anything? He said, you know, why have you done this? He gave him a little bit of rebuke. So he came, he took 10 people immediately because he wanted to clarify the law that a, a convert from Moab who is female, is allowed to be brought into the Jewish people. And he told him, sit down. And he said, our, and he told everybody, our brother, Elimelech, which means his uncle, but it was her, your brother. Um, she's selling the field that was her portion in this whole thing. And, and also, I want you to, to buy this. All the people sitting here are waiting. If you're going to buy it, buy it. If not, I'm going to buy it. I'm next in line because you're the closest of kin to buy. So then he says, I'll buy. And then he says, well, there's something else. There's a caveat. There's a lady involved in this thing. And he sells it separately because a woman is not like just a piece of field. A field is one thing, but marrying a wife, it's, it's yours. It's yours. It belongs to you, but it's not the same. It's not the same kind of thing. A woman has a soul. She has a, she's going to add to change her whole house. So he says, now, if you're going to buy the field, you're willing to to bring the soul of the mace of, of Nachlon. You're going to bring him back to marry his widow. Are you willing to marry his widow? So that is a proof that very likely she was uh, a convert from Moab, what we said on condition. In any case, so um, he says, I can't. He says, I can't. So why can't I? I'll, I'll destroy my inheritance. So here, um, he either he meant, um, you know, like, you know, here, both the husbands died. I'm not going to just, I'm not dying from this. I, I don't believe you. According to some opinions, he was, you know, stricter than the Rabbanim. I don't feel the Rabbanim are right here and I'm doing my own thing. You know, if a person has a rub, they should ask him and not feel they know better. The rub says to do this or not to do it. We can't say we know better. So the rub here, he's telling him there's a halacha, a moavi is not allowed to become a gear, but a moaviyah is allowed to become a gear. So he says, I can't look her. Her first husband died. I'm going to do this too. It's going to happen to me too. I can't do this. I can't have this happen to me. Some other opinions say that his, he was afraid of his covet, 
What are people going to say that I married the, that I'm going to have the, the child born to me is the soul of Nachlon that I should get into this whole mess. I don't need to ruin my, you know, I, I, I want the real, I want the real McCoy. I want something, you know, a good hush of Yechaz here. And look what he gave up, Mashiach and David and, and David and Melech and all these other things that he gave up because he wanted all this covet. So now he says it in public. He um, and it, they used to do that, you know, person would take off his shoe to, to take acquire something. So then he says, um, OK, he told Boaz, you can take it in front of 10 people. He took the shoe to show that he is taking the, the you know, the, he is buying the field and he's going to also acquire Rus as his wife. So he told all the people sitting, sitting there, look, I want you all to know that this halacha is, you know, it's not just that we're making up some kind of halachic uh, ruling here. This is from the Torah. This is from, this is from the Mesorah that you're allowed to marry Moviah and that, um, and that, you know, I'm, I'm getting both of this. You're all witnesses to this. And everybody said, Hashem should give you, this woman should be like Rachel and Leah. Rachel and Leah were also the daughters of Lavan. And you're marrying somebody that was the daughter of Moab, of Eglon. And now this is Nomi's triumph in public. He's showing everybody that this is legit. And that, you know, I want to, I'm the, he was the greatest Torah scholar in that, in that generation. And he's acquiring the, the hold. He's, he's, he's showing the respect given back to Naomi, that it's her portion and um, that, you know, he's acquiring it and he's going to marry Rus. Now we find that, um, so she, uh, so then they, uh, so your house should be like parrots. Parrots was also a question of Yibum with Tamar and, um, and then Boaz took Rus, she became his wife, and then she became pregnant, and Boaz that night died. He was Nifter the night that he got married, and she was pregnant, and so he only lived to that night, which is unbelievable. And still, it says, the woman said to Naomi, look, Hashem did not leave you a redeemer. You do have a child Rus is expecting. In other words, they didn't talk Lashon Hara, see? He's married a Moabite. Look what happens to him. They interpreted it the proper way. And they said his name should be Oved. He's an Oved Hashem because both of his parents acted for the sake of heaven. Rus marries the man 40 years her senior. And um, Boaz does it for the sake of heaven. He didn't have to bother with this whole business. And he does. And he says, this should be someone that should be a comfort for you. That's what the bracha they gave her. And then they all were saying the name was Oved. Nomi was able to nurse the baby and um, that uh, and Nomi, in fact, raises the baby. <laughs> Everybody knew Nomi was given. Rus decided that Nomi is a better, would be a better mother to this child than she would be. So the, um, so, you know, the, uh, I'm sorry, she didn't nurse the baby. Sorry, I made a mistake. That was with, with, um, with sorry, Manu. She, she raised the child. She raised the child, totally risk gave over the whole child raising to Nomi, which is unbelievable. Mother, a mother-in-law's dream, a Bubby's dream that the daughter-in-law says, whatever you think, you know, is how we should raise him. You know, <laughs> nobody would talk that way today. That's for sure. But anyways, and that's, and from this union came Melech Yisrael. So the basic lessons we learned from this is to accept the words of the Chachamim, to have Hakaras Hatov. We see this appreciation, tremendous, before all, before all is to appreciate those that have benefited us. The Chesed of Rus, to see, you know, to do the right thing, no matter how, what the stakes are, to, to uh, through water and fire, she, he does what Hashem wants. And this should be our approach to Kabbalah Satorah. 
just want to add on a little extra for the Yantif. I know I'm going a little over time, but I know you ladies like to hear it anyway. So if you give me, can't do we have to, okay, you'll, whoever wants to leave can leave, but I'm, in, I'm just going to go on for another five minutes to tell you another thought about Shavuos. I have two really thoughts about Shavuos. I guess we'll just, um, okay. Okay, well, I, I have to bring these two because I can't decide between them. So I'm going to take to bring you two things. Number one, you know, on Kiddush, every Friday night, we say Yom Hashishi. You know, we start out, there's always a question, you know, we're not celebrating the sixth day of creation. We're celebrating the seventh day of creation. And it's the end of the verse. It's Zahira Vayvoker Yom Hashishi. That's the, the verse. Why, do we, why don't we just start by Yechulu? Rashi says, uh, why does it say Yom Hashishi? The, it's in definitive article, the sixth day, to teach us that the world, which constitutes the six days of creation, were created for the sixth of Sivan, the day that we received the Torah. Hashem created the whole world in order on the sixth day of Sivan, we should get the Torah. The whole world was waiting for this, right? This is what it was created for. So Sifzek Chaim asked an interesting question. He says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shorten this fourth. It actually is much longer, but I'm gonna say it much shorter. He said, there's three occasions where Moshe added on something when Hashem didn't tell him to. And here's one of the occasions. Hashem tells Moshe before Matan Torah, he tells him, get everyone prepared. You know, there's a thing called Hashloshes Yemei Hadbala. The three days before Shavuos, the Jewish people were told, you know, to clean themselves off. Don't be, married people should stay apart for three days and uh, clean all their clothing and be ready for the getting the, receiving the Torah, three days. The three days, Hashem said in the Torah, prepare yourself today and tomorrow, I will give the Torah. So that was a vague statement. Does that statement mean today, prepare yourself and tomorrow, and I will give the Torah tomorrow? Or does it mean today, tomorrow, two days to prepare, and on the third day, I'll give the Torah? Now we do today three days. Moshe Rabbeinu Hosif Yom Echad Midato. Moshe Rabbeinu decides he was the beginner of the rabbinic law. He said, look, preparing for getting the Torah is very, very deep thing. If God is insinuating and being vague about this, leaving it up to me to decide how to rule. What am I ruling? I'm adding an extra day. So the Torah was given, according to all the Mephorshim, on the seventh day of Sivan. Wait a second. It says Yom HaShishi, the sixth day. The world is waiting for Yom HaShishi. Moshe adds on, and the Torah was given on the seventh day. And guess what? All of those of you listening that are from Eretz Yisrael, the day of Shavuos in Eretz Yisrael was not even the day we got the Torah. The Torah was given on the seventh of Sivan. And it's only a day midrabanan. It's time late. Oh. <laughs> why is it? Why is it that we celebrate the sixth of Sivan, Yom Hashishi? We still say Yom Hashishi. Because it's to teach us, says the Sif Sechaim, the importance of rabbinic law. Rabbinic law is so important that the whole Matan Torah waited an extra day because Moshe Rabbeinu thought it's worthwhile to add on as much preparation as necessary to receive the Torah. One extra day was added on because this is when they're supposed to get the Torah. So we learn from this that we are supposed to 
um, you know, from our own mind, we're supposed to, you know, listen to the Rabbanim. This, this, this is part of Kabbalah Satora is listening to the Rabbanim of the generation. Listen to our Rabbanim. That is our Kabbalah. And in Aristotle, that's the only Kabbalah Satora is Moshe Rabbeinu's Kabbalah Satora, not the real Kabbalah Satora, which was the day before. I'm sorry, the Aristotle, they don't even have that. They only have the waiting. That was nothing happening on that day. Nothing happened till the next day. Uh, the seventh day, Drabanan is the day that really happened, but we all do that because we listen to the rabbinic law. And also it teaches us a second lesson, the importance of preparation, how important it is to prepare ourselves. Shavuos says, Moshe Feinstein, it's called Shavuos, even though that's not its name in the Torah, it's called Atzeres, to show us that really we have to come into Shavuos. How are we going? It's like another mini, it's the, it's the national like Yom Kippur. How are we going to prepare ourselves to hear Hashem's voice? What are we going to do to improve ourselves? Hopefully during the Omer, we've all worked on something. Let's rethink as these days are getting closer. What are we going to accept upon ourselves? How are we going to improve our character to merit the giving of the Torah and to show that we're wanting it, that we have a karsa tov, that we have chesed. We're going to listen to the Rabbanim and the Torah scholars of our day. I thank you for listening. I wish all of you a beautiful Shavuos, but Mashiach can come today too. We can all celebrate it in Eretz Yisrael, even though it'll be not the day we really got the Torah. I'm waiting for that, and I'm waiting to be with all of you. Thank you for listening, and and uh, I wish you a wonderful Yantav. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you.